This is Jen Jett Barrett, and you are listening to the Go and See podcast, a podcast miniseries that runs alongside six weeks of video content that is designed to help you take inventory of your spiritual and emotional health. Over the next few weeks, listen in on conversations with some of my very dear friends. We all share a hope to see this generation of men and women walk in greater freedom and faithfulness as we co-labor together for the kingdom. I wanted people to see this depth of struggle, this depth of despair, and also see me trying to fight for hope, trying to survive, trying to stay alive. In this episode, we sit in the middle of grief with my friend Cassie, who's lost two babies in 11 months. Even if you haven't personally had a loss like this, our hope is that you see behind the curtain of grief, of the confusing in-between, and hear the struggle of reconciling grief and hope. I know this will be heavy, but our hope is that we will all grow in our ability to love others well. Welcome back, Cassie. Thank you. It's good to be back. We had Cassie back in week two talking about leveraging our emotions on the week two Go and See podcast. And I wanted her to come back because this week we covered in the video um, how to grieve limits and how to grieve loss. And I have walked through grief and loss with several friends recently, Cassie being one. And she and I have had a lot of conversation about grieving our limits and grieving our loss. And so we just wanted to bring it onto the podcast. So thanks for being here with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's an honor to get to talk about these things that have so much purpose and meaning. Yeah, they do. The first thing that we talked about on the video was grieving limits. And ironically, you and I are in uh, a group chat with some of our dearest friends. We call them our dream defenders, but we're in a group chat. And yesterday we actually had this conversation about um, how we are each wired differently. Our personalities are different. Our giftings are different. And we acknowledge that there are moments inside of our friendship where we can get insecure because we'll look at someone else's gifting and automatically think, I'm not doing enough, or I'm not showing up enough for this friend in this way, or I'm not contributing um, to this community of friends enough. And one of our friends reminded us that, no, this is actually the body of Christ. Like We are all gifted uniquely, and in our gifts come limits, because we are not enough. We cannot do it all. We don't have everything we need. And I think it was just a reminder yesterday as we were going back and forth through our group that if we got stuck in those lies and insecurities, we would not be the kind of community that we are. And the strength of that community wouldn't be what it is. Yeah, absolutely. And as humans, you know, we we are limited, every single one of us. And our limits point us to Jesus. Our limits remind us that we need a savior. And that is super important because if we didn't have that, we would feel like we could do it all on our own. And then, you know, going from there, God has specifically shown us, right, that his body, the body of Christ, the community of followers of Christ, that he has given each of us a role. And to have a role in God's God's kingdom, to have a role as an heir of his, 
is a huge deal, a huge honor, something that none of us deserve. And, and when we say, you know what, well, I just, I don't like being that part, right? Like we, we for, and we all do this, right? And we all do it. We all do it. And that's part of me looking at me like, man, I should have done that. Why did I do that? She did that so well for that person. I wish I would have done that. Or I wish I was more like this. And when we do that, we're forgetting what God, what role God has given us and, and the lane he has put us in. And then that hinders the body. It hurts the body. It hurts ourselves. Right. And, and we forget that because God has given us a role, it is extremely important, no matter what that role is, no matter what part of the body that is. I have said before that if we are busy being committed, confident, and centered on the life God has given us, we'll not have the energy or time to be concerned with what he's um, given someone else to do. And that's how we, I just think of how much is, is how much it costs to your point, how much it costs the kingdom when we do not acknowledge our limits, embrace those limits. And there's a space to grieve that. Like, and, and I mentioned in the video, like, let's make sure we're grieving our limits, but not being envious of that. It's, you know, appropriate grief and not envy. And I just think how much it costs the kingdom when we are looking around all the time and distracted by what's been given others and not just running in our lanes. Cause I'm just so aware of how our community of friends just we run in our lane and it frees us up to just really cheer each other on, encourage each other and not be distracted by what we do and don't have. Right. And and to not get to a place where I start thinking I'm less important. We lose sight of what Christ has done for us in that. And that's a that's a problem, right? Because then our eyes become focused on something else besides Jesus. And and the work of embracing our limits keeps us humble. I mean, and like you said at the very beginning, it reminds us of our need for a savior and it just keeps us humble. So, and then the second thing we talked about in the video was grieving loss. And I want to have a really honest conversation with you about loss. But before we do that, I want to make sure we cover this idea of comparative loss or comparative suffering And it's just this idea that sometimes we can compare our own loss or grief or suffering to someone else's and diminish it. So we'll say something like, well, they're going through something worse than I am, so I shouldn't feel this way. And it can turn into shame for even feeling grief over loss and suffering. And so before you share your story, I want us to encourage the listener to listen while holding space for their own loss, no matter what it looks like, because there might be varying weights of loss, but in the eyes of the Lord, he's, he, he grieves with us no matter our loss. And so I'd love for you to just encourage uh, whoever's listening to be cautious, not to compare their loss or grief to this story. Yeah. I'm glad you bring that up. And, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, stuff like this, it can be the really heavy stories And so it's really, again, really important not to do that. And I I think the first thing to encourage you with, whatever loss you have experienced, whatever it has looked like, God cares about it. Yeah. Period. Because that is true, 
it is worth grieving, right? And that doesn't mean you, you know, you go around and you have to say, well, mine is the worst thing ever, right? That is not what that means. But to know with Jesus, before Jesus, when you're with him, you know, at all points of the day that he cares about your loss. And and any loss you have, we have to grieve because that is how we were made. And that is the healthiest thing that we can do for our brains, even from a psychological perspective. You can identify your loss. You can grieve your loss. And yet at the same time, know that, you know, there's probably someone else always that's hurting more than we are. I mean, I mm. could even say that, right? right? And but that doesn't mean but that doesn't mean you shouldn't grieve your loss just because you know someone else might be hurting more than you. Mm -hmm. I heard a podcast the other day by, it was one of Brene Brown's podcasts, and it was actually on comparative suffering. So I would say, go find it if this is a place you get stuck. But she said, there is enough empathy to go around. Like it's almost this fear. If we take empathy for our loss, there will be less empathy for someone else's loss. And that's just not true to remember that, you know, as we share stories of loss. You have a story of loss um, that you have walked through very recently over the last year and a half. And so give us a little background of just where you've been over the last year and a half. Yeah. In 2018, we uh, were pregnant with our third child. We ended up um, losing her, her name is Radiance, at 21 weeks due to an issue with my placenta and it induced premature labor. I delivered her and she lived for a little bit over an hour and we spent precious time with her and then I had to say goodbye. Two months after that, so really quickly after that, we got pregnant again with our fourth child. About halfway through the pregnancy, things started to come up that they were like, well, we think this kid might have a heart defect. We think maybe this, maybe that. And pretty much from there on out, it was a roller coaster through the rest of the pregnancy. Like he, he has this thing and then no, he doesn't have this. And so it was a roller coaster. Um, by the time he was born and his name is Caleb, he was born at 36 weeks and we thought he might have a couple of things you know, heart defects and that could be fixed. Um, but we, uh, you know, did not think it was anything extreme. And 12 hours after he was born, started to not be able to oxygenate his body well. And so that kind of sent us into the hospital for 27 days, trying to figure out what was going on. He ended up having a lot of physical defects, requiring some surgeries. But in the end, we found out a day before he died that he actually had a gene deletion that caused a disease called the alveolar capillary dysplasia, a super rare disease, and it is 100% fatal. And so he ended up dying the next day. And that was September 4th of 2019. And then on September 27th, so that was like three weeks later, we're celebrating our daughter's first birthday, mm. who we lost. Mm. So we have had, you know, lost two children, held them in our arms as they have slowly died in a time period of 11 months. Which sounds completely unbearable. 
Yes. And it feels that way as well. I, I had the honor of being at your, at Caleb's uh, memorial service. And it was 30 days. Is this correct? 30 days after he passed. Yep. And which I, I think was one of the most profound moments of grief for me. It was four weeks later that we entered into your space um, to honor him and remember him and celebrate his life. And what I saw was that kind of survival adrenaline had come down and you guys were living authentically in the depth of grief. And you were so honest and broken and it was extremely profound. And so I would love for you to share what that day felt like for you 30 days out from his passing and you and Jeff standing there honoring his life. Yeah, man, I haven't gone back to this day in a while. Um, You know, I remember wanting to say everything I could. I, I remember having this feeling of like, I need people to know what this is like. And, and I think even more so than that, like I need people to know my son. And like mm-hmm. most people never got the chance to meet him because he lived for 27 days and everybody thought he was going to come home, including us. And I just remember thinking, I need people to see what this is like. I, my personality values honesty. And so that was something that I knew I would be no matter what. And I didn't care what the response may be. I wanted people to see the depth of despair. I wanted to convey my struggle and my wrestling, especially with my God. And then I wanted people to know what they were missing out on in knowing our son and that he doesn't get to be here, you know, and not only them, but us, you know, and that, and because this missing out, that is the despair, right? Right. And so I just remember thinking, I remember thinking, I have to get this right. I mean, I spent hours writing this and And so I remember that being my heart. I wanted people to see this depth of struggle, this depth of despair, and also see me trying to fight for hope, trying to survive, trying to stay alive, trying to care for my children that I have here well, trying to fight for my marriage, you know, and I wanted to, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of convey that like despair and hope all at the same time, you know, and then again, telling people about my son. And I think that's why it was so profound because I got a glimpse into the confusing in between. I got a glimpse of the 30 days in where our friend Lindsay and Chris always say grief lasts longer than a casserole. And so the casseroles weren't showing up at your house anymore. And Um, the flood of people and, you know, the strength of the people around you and that, that just survival, like to get through those next few hours was, was gone. And 
this was a picture of that in between of the despair and the pain and the anguish and the loss. And I love how you just said your fight to survive. And I think oftentimes when we watch someone walk through grief, that fight instills fear in people because they think, oh my gosh, you're going to be overtaken by this. And so I need to come in and take this away or speak a bunch of truth or, you know, fix this because I'm afraid you're going to be overtaken by this. And, and that moment for me, it will stick with me forever because of your honesty in the middle of the despair and grief. But I, what I also know is I know you and I know your God. Mm, yep. And so I was not afraid. I grieved for what you grieved and the loss of Caleb, but I was not worried about you. And I wasn't worried about Jeff because I knew who was fighting for you. And that, that was the difference for that moment for me. But you were honest. And you said back in um, October, I host a retreat called Campwell and Cassie's a part of that. And she always teaches and she teaches on truth and lies. And I would love for you to share from that, that week when you were standing there. And that was a month, two months. How, how many, how many weeks after Caleb passing did you show up at Campwell? Probably like six or seven weeks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I remember as you're teaching about truth and lies and how we can fight those, you were extremely honest about the lie you were believing in that moment. I, and you know, I would say I still struggle with this at times and have wrestled this a lot, you know, and I think the lie for me, it's very specific to my relationship with God, my view of God, but this lie that I've never you know, I think at times I've felt this in my life, but it's been pretty fleeting. It hasn't lasted long. And this has felt so deep to me, but this lie that I'm not sure that God really loves me or my family, you know, and it's, it's like, and I look at my four and two-year-olds who like are having to say goodbye to their brother in the hospital. And I'm like, I don't know if you do like, and I don't know if you love them even you know? And so it wasn't even just about me. It was about my family. And I'm not too sure if we're significant to you. Um, and this feeling like we just got overlooked in that moment. And again, I know that that is not true because I believe the truth of his word and his word says something different, you know, and I have experienced his love in my life. And, and so, you know, but I still, that's what I was feeling. And so I've had to wrestle with that and, again, find my way back to what's true and choose to believe it even if I don't feel it. Have you felt shame around having that thought? You know, I really haven't, um, but that's because I've done a lot of work on myself over the past 15 yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think probably I would have at some point. Yeah. But, you know, where I have felt some shame and this is different, you know, and I think that this could, this is a lie as well, is that I have just wrestled with like, I think this happened because of my sin. I think God, it might be allowing my children to die. And again, whatever that even means, because I, you know, that is a big theological 
question, but I think we are not going to do that podcast. No, no, no. (laughs) Right. And I think there's so much unknown in that for all of us. Um, but you know, that is where I felt probably the most shame in this is feeling like I did something wrong. And this is, and that, and, and the people whose babies are getting to live, they didn't do something wrong. And, and so I felt shame in that. There have been times where, you know, just normal motherhood, I like, you know, yell at my kid when I shouldn't. And I, and I immediately find myself going, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, God, I didn't mean to do that. Please forgive me. Please don't take them away. And, and again, I don't think he's that kind of God. I don't really believe that. But, you know, to ask the question about the shame, that's really where I felt it. Because we are not going to do a podcast on the theology of suffering. Yes. I would, if that's where someone is like stuck and really wants to dive deep, I would encourage you. I'm in the process of a book called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering by Tim Keller. And he um, does go into the theology of suffering. And so I will point people to that if that's where they want to go. I have heard that though. I have heard that connection made in people's minds. And I, I will, I remember the day you called me. I remember where I was and I remember the conversation we were having and you said, I had a visual and it was front, like the hunger games. It wasn't even a dream. It was like a, just in the middle of the day, I got this image in my head, which does not normally happen to me. That's not my thing. (laughs) Um, and I mean, it's been years. I read The Hunger Games in like 2012 and I watched the movies you know, four or five years ago. And so, you know, it's just crazy that this came out of nowhere, but I got this image that my life was when the district or whatever they were called, the like head people of the whole place came to your city to draw the name of who would have to go to The Hunger Games. And I saw myself in the crowd and I saw God up there on that stage. And he goes, okay, we're going to figure out who's going to have to live, you know, and always be trying to survive financially. Okay. We're going to call all those names. Who's going to have to live and lose a parent when they're a child. Okay. We're going to call those names. Who's going to live and have to lose a spouse. And then it's like, who's going to live and have to lose a child. And my name gets called. And then it's like the next year they come back and my name gets called again. (laughs) And I just was overwhelmed by that image because that's what I was feeling like that. He's just calling my name. And I'm like, why aren't you calling someone else's name? Right. But I don't really want that. Why do you calling anyone's name to lose their child? Right. And it felt inescapable. Like here I am, I'm just at the mercy of this choosing just like they are in the hunger games. And now thankfully no one's trying to kill me, but I'm trying to not let grief kill me. I think what's been an encouragement to the person listening to this that is sitting in grief is that you were saying you were not alone and you were through your story. Um, you were saying it is okay to wrestle with the Lord. It is okay to ask him these really hard questions and it is okay to ask him why. And he is not afraid of that. He is not worried. 
about those questions. Um, he is sad that this in between the garden and the new heaven is full of suffering and brokenness, and he is grieving that too. I, you know, I think that is something that has really helped me is to remind myself that Jesus is sad and heartbroken, devastated for the suffering, the sin, the death that is in this world. And we know that because Jesus came, right, to die, to come and rise again to demolish that forever. And so that that has been really important for me to remind myself of that this, this is why Jesus died for the sin, the death, the suffering, the separation that we have right between us and God because of that sin. That has been helpful for me in this process to to again to know that Jesus does love me, to know that I am significant to him, to know that this does sadden him. He does not like this. Death was never supposed to be here. That was never part of the original plan. So death is never okay with him. What does it look like to give yourself grace in this season of grief that you are still in? Yeah, I think that's a good question. I don't think that's something I've done really well, to be honest. I like to learn. I like to grow. I like to use things to get better. I am a fighter. And so this grief feels like it stopped all of that. And I don't like that, right? And I know I should give myself grace for that, and I'm trying. But I think that's a place for me that I've seen that I need to give myself grace for. That and to trust that eventually, hopefully, this will make me a better human, that this will make me more like Jesus, right? But if I don't, if sometimes that's not happening for me right now, to know that I'm still in the process, it hasn't even been a year since Caleb has died. And, and to know that that's my desire, and I'm asking Jesus for that, and letting that be enough in these moments of despair where that's really hard for me to do. Well, share with us some ways that you have been loved well and some ways you have not been loved well through this grief. Yeah. And I, and I will say just to start this conversation that there is just, just this weird thing. And I don't know if this is true for everyone, but I think it is true for me that it's taken me going through something this devastating to really learn how to do this well for other people. Mm. And I think before this, I mean, I'm a therapist, right? So I think I was okay at it, but not great. Now looking back, <laughs> because I, it is uncomfortable. Should I say something? Should I not? You know, and you go through this stuff or, you know, there's a fear that if I bring it up, then maybe it will happen to me. I mean, all the reasons why we don't talk about it. And so, you know, I, I can see myself before this knowing that I did not always do it well because I just didn't get it. Right. And, and we talked, we talked about this in week um, three, when we talked about seasons and our journeys of faith, that the hope when we hit a crisis in our life or a crisis in our faith, the hope is if we continue to move through that with the Lord, the other side of it is a greater brokenness and a greater compassion and a greater um, humility for the 
the grief and suffering around us. Yeah. Yes. And that, and that is my hope, you know, that I can do that well for other people as I understand better now. And so again, just to preface this conversation, you know, that I didn't, I have not always done this well and I'm, and I still don't, I'm still learning. And I think some of the things that have been helpful for me, like you said, is people just remembering and not thinking like, oh, well, it's been nine months, right? Like to them, and you have to remember to someone else, nine months feels like a long time ago. To the person grieving, that feels like yesterday. Mm. And so I think that's important to remember. And that allows you then to say something a little bit easier. And I will always carry my children with me that I don't have here. And so people being willing to step into that with me and remember them with me is something I'm going to need for the rest of my life because they're not here and they should be. And when people remember, when they say his name, when they ask me, how are you, how are you today with the absence of Caleb? You know, forever, this is a part of my story. And I am not the same person as I was before this. And so when people don't mention it, it's like, I'm like, I don't even think you know who I am anymore. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. You know, that's what it feels like. Can you speak to how it feels when people would give like Bible verses or try to tell you that, you know, say things like, God's going to redeem this, or God's going to bring you another child, or I can't wait to see how God uses this, or God uses all things for good. Can you talk about how those words felt? Yeah, that feels really dismissing, almost like I shouldn't be sad. Now, are those things they're saying true? Like if they're saying scripture, I think yes. But I think we can say those things know that they're true, and still be in despair at the same time. There's an art to walking with someone through grief and suffering. One, because everyone's personality is different. And so one person might shut themselves in their house and not come out for weeks or months. Someone else might want to sit and share the story of those days in the hospital. Mm -hmm. Uh, Somebody else might need, all they want is like scripture, scripture, scripture. Yes. But I think what everyone needs is space, like hold space and listen and learn, try to learn the person, Um, honor their grief and sadness and pain. Don't be afraid of it. Sit in it. I was reminded just simply like love is patient. There is a place for patience with not patience because they're a project and inconvenient, but patience because that is loving. And it is honoring to the suffering and loss and grief for that person for whatever, however long the season is. Yeah. And I need, we need as a family to re, to be reminded of the truth of Jesus and his words. But we need to be reminded of that truth and also be able to feel despair and sadness and grief at the same time. That is the art of loving well with a biblical view of suffering and grief in this broken world is to hold space for grief and despair and also speak truth. Something else I've realized is as we try to walk alongside people in grief, our 
emotional health matters. And that's why you're doing this, Jen, because we struggle with this at times as a society. Our emotional and spiritual health matter personally and how I'm going to walk alongside someone in grief. And I've seen this again, like there have been times in the past where I have thought to myself, I cannot hear that story because it's going to cause too much anxiety in me that that might happen to me. Hmm. And I don't think I have to dismiss that anxiety. I don't think that that's not okay that I feel that way. But the hope is that I would work through that with Jesus to get to a place where I could sit with someone and that that wouldn't be, that wouldn't keep me right from loving someone well in a, in a situation, right? It's because of my own lack of emotional, spiritual health. I was not able to walk alongside someone well. You're right. It is why this work matters because we are called to love God and love others. And this is a way to love others well, is out of our spiritual and emotional health, we have the ability to hold space. Although it could cause anxiety or fear or overwhelm, we take that to the Lord. That is for us to deal with Him. And we have the strength of the Lord to then go back and continue to love patiently, love well, um, love with compassion and empathy to sit in and hold space for people, with people, to not leave people. Spiritual and emotional health does matter. It's why this matters, and it helps us love people well. To watch the videos we mentioned in this episode, visit harvestfayetteville.org. Join us next week as we talk about Sabbath rest. I am convinced that our emotional and spiritual health, our ability to love God and love others well, is directly related to how we honor rest in our lives.